Good morning. The next legislative session for the Tennessee General Assembly will begin two months from now. I don't know of any better way to discuss the region's issues than to have our next guest, Senator Paul Bailey. That's what's trending. I'm your host, Ben Rogers. Good morning, Senator. Yeah, good morning, Ben. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I'm honored you're here with me today. I look forward to hearing about the legislative items coming up. We, I know y'all start in January, but first, as always, and, I, and my listeners know, I like to get to know my guests, and I know you, but I want them to know more about the Senator, about Paul Bailey, than actually you being a, a public servant. Um, getting to some of your history and, and how you got to where you are. I know you've got a lot going on other than being a senator. You're a family man. You're a businessman. You're a farmer. You're a quarter horse aficionado. Um, and I like to. I want to talk about that because I grew up with a with a horse. I just had one. I had a Tennessee walking horse, but I grew up with one named Champ, and he was the same age as me and died at, at the age of 23, and we loved him. I want to hear all about that, but we want to talk about kind of how you how you got to where you're at and are you a lifelong resident of white county yes i am we my family is originally from clay county salina so we moved to uh, white county when i entered the first grade my dad took a job there actually training tennessee walking horses okay and so that's um where we started out so we've been there ever since and I really hate to tell you how many years we've been there, but it's uh, it's it's several. That's okay. So I, I did not see. So I learned something already. You were actually born in Clay County. No, actually, I oh. was born in Kentucky. Okay. I, was, okay. I was born in Moorhead, Kentucky. My dad was working for a gentleman there, actually training uh, Tennessee walking horses, and then uh, we moved to White County, uh, Sparta, for him to uh, go to work for a gentleman there. And I entered first grade in uh, White County, and we've been there ever since. Wow, good deal. Did you grow up in a big family? No, I'm an only child. Only child, okay. I'm an only child, okay. and and uh, we actually don't have any immediate family members in the White County area. Okay. We had some distant cousins that actually lived in in White County, but we didn't have any immediate family members. So you've and had to campaign extra hard. <laughs> I've had to campaign. I, I did not have a big family. Uh, basically to to draw a lot of support from in in white county well and that's you know one of the i guess probably one of the reasons i got elected to county commission back in 2014 is i have a big family you know right maybe not not all of them may not have voted for me i don't know uh but i but that's that helps when you're running but i did not know that so i'm learning some about you already so of course you attended tennessee tech um and your your dad had a business at what point did you dive into the family business well uh, pretty much i'm i tell folks all the time i'm a third generation trucker my grandfather was a trucker and, and of course uh, he taught his sons and my dad being one of them to uh, to be a truck driver and of course they were actually driving before there were interstates in in tennessee and and in a lot of other places in the country and so it was just kind of a natural fit all during my uh, high school days, especially at my senior year, once I turned 18 years old, I was at that time you could get a uh, special chauffeur's license to be able to drive an 18 wheeler. And my my dad had always taught me how to drive a truck, so it was a natural fit that once I graduated high school during that summer before I started Tennessee Tech in the fall, I actually drove uh, a truck to make money, and then while in tech, uh, I also drove on the weekends basically to have some extra money to be able to uh you know do things that college kids do wow that's um so third generation trucker third generation trucker so the business took off um you know i kind of had a vision i always wanted to uh, i really always wanted to be in manufacturing sure. because i wanted to make something right. i wanted to manufacture something but i knew trucking 
basically because I had grown up in trucking, and that ultimately became a fit for me and my family. And so we uh, got a contract from a company uh, here in Cookville, and we purchased their equipment, and from there we just began to grow. Wow. Wow. So your dad had moved to White County to train Tennessee walking horses as well, was all, but was also in the trucking business because he, your grandfather. Yes. And so and is that when he was training Tennessee walking horses, did y'all have a farm? Because I know you, you love to farm. Is that where the farming began for you or did that come on later in life? Well, of course, you know, you couldn't always make a, a, a living uh, – training horses so there was several aspects that went into that obviously he had to farm and and also the trucking came in to play there so uh he we actually lived on a farm but we didn't own the farm when we first came to white county and then later on obviously we purchased a my dad purchased a farm in the cherry creek community and and that's where we uh you know i i ultimately grew up the latter days of my teenage years is is on cherry creek and so you know, gosh, we raised tobacco and, and I always had bottle calves. That was that was one of the things that my dad always insisted is that we uh, uh, we have, you know, uh, tobacco, we have a garden, and we also have bottle calves to be able to make a little money on. Well, tobacco is not as, as um, affluent anymore. I mean, it's there's not many people growing anymore tobacco. It's kind of. It's kind of went away, and and I say this. Um, my daddy grew up on a farm as well, a small farm, and they had bottle calves and and raised cattle and, and tobacco. And when my grandpa died in 1982, they stopped growing tobacco. Mm-hmm. My, and my daddy just said, "I can't do it." And, right. and of course, you knew my uncle Bill right. uh, as well, and he, the, him, and my dad and my other uncle, they were doing it and just didn't have enough time. So I didn't. I missed out on a lot of the tobacco work. I did help friends. Um, uh, set it and cut it and top it and spike it and I did all that, but not with family. I did for, I did it for friends. They needed help, and I'm I, I tell my daddy thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's hard absolutely. Work. Yeah, it's, it, I I don't think that our uh, especially I've got a 17 year old son. I don't think he understands the work ethic that actually went into uh, the farming aspect. Uh, just several years ago things have changed we are uh visiting with senator paul bailey this is news talk 94.1 fm and trending so farming was part of yours and of course you have a passion for quarter horses right when did that passion start well so i grew up in the tennessee walking horse industry and and obviously my dad trained horses and then i I showed walking horses uh, as a teenager Uh, the quarter horse industry came into my life after my fifth high school reunion whenever I met up with a young lady that I'd graduated high school with and that she and I had been sweethearts in the fifth grade and her name's Amy and she's my wife today. Nice. So she, her father was a uh, trained roping horses uh, and uh, one of the most famous people that he actually trained roping horses for was uh, Charlie Daniels. Okay. And so, and that was during our, our high school days that, uh, that he did that. So, she and I always had a, a running debate back and forth when we were in school, which horse was the best, the quarter horse or the walking horse. And so she ultimately converted me uh, many years ago. So, you, I mean, you go all over the country with quarter horses. We do. We show on the national level. We show in, in what's called the reined cow horse. Uh, so we have uh, – it. it's a two- and three-part event. Uh, we do a reining, which is – I tell folks it's a lot like figure skating. There's a prescribed pattern that you're plused and minus as far as each maneuver. And then we also work a cow uh, in, in, in regards to that. And then the third aspect of it is uh, we sometimes have the cutting event. 
that uh, we add to those shows. And, and we go to Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado. Uh, we have, uh, I actually promote a show in Murfreesboro, Tennessee in July that we bring the uh, event here. Wow. And so in the Tennessee area. So it's a passion of yours and your wives. It's something you share together. Absolutely. And, and, and it's a, a family event. All of my children, I have three children, uh, two older children. And, and of course, I mentioned Caleb a few minutes ago, but uh, we brought all of our children up in the horse world. Uh, it's because it's a family atmosphere, and you know they had a passion for horses just the same as I did. Well, and as I mentioned mine earlier, Champ, uh, Daddy had gotten him from uh, a friend who showed uh, Tennessee walking horses, and I just grew up being around him. And he got foundered and got arthritis and couldn't really ride him. There's a picture, uh, my favorite picture, of my daddy's own riding Champ. You yeah, know? and that's something I'll cherish forever. Shortly after that, fortunately, he couldn't really ride him, but he was a pet. Right. You know, you love right. them; they're your pets. And we also had a mule. Uh, we called her Belle, and she lived to be 43. Oh the yeah, oldest mules on records that, that I know of. Oh, and they were best friends. So. Um, love growing up around mules and horses and on the farm, and and so we have that an interest in interest and in common. And your wife's name's Amy, and Amy. mine is Amy as well. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. Um, let's talk about your family and and when you decided. And I want to talk about when you decided to be in public service, and and was your family a big part of that? But what was the first? Uh, role in public service was it you being a county commissioner did you do something before that no my first well I had served on uh, different boards on the county level I was on the industrial board Mm -hmm. I was on the airport board and and then from there I basically ran for county commissioner and that was my first foray into uh, actual uh, public uh, political life and, and i'm a county commissioner so i always like to ask current or former county commissioners what made you decide for to run for county commission what was there some something that happened was there in the county was there frustration was it just a des- desire to serve do you well, remember what sparked that desire yeah, well you know uh, desire to serve because i always wanted to be in politics whenever i was in in high school i wanted to be in politics and so uh and Actually, I felt like that our county, White County, could be moving forward sure. um, better than what it currently was. Right. And I felt with my background as far as being in business and also serving on those various uh, boards, I'd gotten some right. uh, public experience. And so I felt like that um, I could take that and springboard uh, into the White County Commission and then uh, basically help our county. And I think we I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, in 2010, is that when you were? T- 2010, 2010, that's correct, yes. And I remember that. You were listening to Trending on News Talk 94.1 FM at 1600 AM. Come back for the next segment. We'll talk about the journey to becoming a legislator with Senator Paul Bailey. Welcome back to this week's episode of Trending. You're listening to News Talk 94.1 FM and 1600 AM. I'm your host, Ben Rogers, and I'm visiting with Tennessee Senator Paul Bailey from the 15th District. Paul, we were talking about you being a commissioner. You got elected in 2010. Did, what kind of discussions did you have with your family? You mentioned you have three children, your wife, Amy. What kind of discussions did you have when you decided you want to run for county commissioner? Well, I, I think anytime you're running for a public office, it needs to be a uh, family decision. And so I had visited with uh, Amy, my wife, first and foremost. And then, of course, uh, we brought the broader children in and discussed it with them. But she definitely supported me in that role simply because she felt like that uh, White County had more potential in uh, basically being able to try to help recruit industry into the area and other aspects. Um, I felt like that being a business person, I had a grasp of a budget, so I understood how we needed to work on our budget in the county to make sure that we were operating as efficiently as possible. So three years as commissioner, usually it's a four-year term. 
I think you're one of uh, probably the only one who's ever served as a commissioner, a uh, state representative, and a state senator in the cal- in one county. You're correct. In 2014, I I tell folks that uh, uh, whatever history records about Paul Bailey, that's one of be the most significant pieces of history is the fact that I served in three political offices all in one year. Well, I want to talk about that process, but as a commissioner, I mean, three years, it's not a full term, but there's a lot that goes on. You're meeting every month. Did you ever get the chance to serve as chairman? I did. Uh, my final year, I served as chairman of the uh, county commission, and which was a great experience that allowed me to gain a lot more knowledge, especially about running a committee. Sure. process sure. so i think that that actually has helped me in the legislature sure and we'll talk about those committees in the legislature as well so you're th- on there three years and i want to talk about that process and, and ch- i've had charlie curtis on my show before right. and he did a great job of course charlie's always entertaining and uh, your, your journey as we said to become a legislator is a little bit different than others uh, most of the time you run for office and get elected in your case you you first got in the legislature because you were appointed uh, in the House of Representatives because Mr. Curtis resigned. Right. He, he took a job to work with the Tennessee County Commissioner Association, which I work with him almost on a daily basis. Uh, but So the process, and people may not know this, if that seat is held by someone that's uh, from that county, that county commission is responsible for appointing the, the interim to fill that seat. So in this case, uh, Charlie was a House of Representative member, uh, he resigned, and there was a time period where he had to resign to take this job, and, and the commission had to fill that sp- so, uh, seat. And so you, at what point did you know that you want to be nominated for that position? Well, so, Ben, if you remember, I was actually running for the Senate seat. I was, well, yes. al- I was yes. already mm-hmm. in the process, had a campaign sure. going for uh, the state Senate seat, uh, and then when Basically, uh, Charlie Curtis notified us and and me that he was going to take the uh, position that he now has, that he would be resigning. And at the time, I wasn't 100% sure if I wanted to try to seek that position for the interim. Right. But I'm glad that I did because it gave me a wealth of knowledge by just being able to uh, be in the House of Representatives for one session whenever I was elected the state senator, then uh, I was basically already ahead of a lot of my freshman members that came in with me. Sure. And do you think uh, you think the commissioners, when they went that night to vote, and I was actually um, – was that not? Was it not snowing that night? It was. It was uh, January the seventh. Hey, I'll never forget. I was it was January seventh. Yeah. And, and the county mayor at the time, which was it was heard, right. Sullivan had called. So can you come up? Because I'd helped Warren County when Senator Cooper had resigned. I'd helped Warren County appoint their interim. So I was on my way to White County just to be there, not to dictate the meeting. But if I had, they had questions. And I got snowed in. Like, right. I mean, and I say snowed in. It was probably three or four inches, but my road's a country road. It was icy, and there's no way. And I just called her. And I said, can you do it without me? And he said, sure. And so it was the January night. You got appointed. Do you think the commissioners that voted for you saw that you were running for Senate and said, hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'm not. You're, you're qualified for to do the job, but this will help us help him be get, get elected senator because that experience in the House – is similar to being a senator, and we'll talk about the differences. But you think that went through their mind, or they just thought, you know what, Paul, it was going to be great for this. Let's appoint him. Well, I think all of the above. Okay. I think there were some that thought that it would be a good move for White County to uh, definitely have 
um, um, a house member continue um, for that time period while others had the opportunity to seek the office of, uh, uh, of state representative. And, and I think they also, some also realized that it would be beneficial if I won the state Senate seat that I would already have gained that knowledge sure. that uh, that one session would provide me. Sure. And, and another thing is, you know, um, White County obviously is going to be behind you running for that because running for a Senate office because the commission wants to keep that seat in that county. You yeah. know, that's a big deal. It, it, it is a big deal. And, and I don't think people always realize that that um, it's 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 good for their community to uh, have the state legislators or legislators uh, living in their community. It just um, especially a rural county. You know, that was uh, as as I was running for state Senate, obviously I had an opponent at the time that was from Putnam County. And and so, you know, some of the negativity was, is, well, you're coming from a small county. You're not going to be able to compete against someone from the largest county right. population wise. And uh, but, you know, we just kept working sure. and uh, we worked hard. And but, you know, here's the thing. I try my best to be in all six of the counties that I represent right. on a regular basis. And whether you're the smallest county that I represent or you're the largest county, I have a presence there. And I also work with all the elected officials uh, and or anyone else to uh, basically make sure that, that we meet their needs. I guess Bledsoe is your smallest county probably? Bledsoe is. By population? Uh, uh, actually, uh, at Jackson County is, uh, Jackson County is, uh, okay. is the smallest I, and I, before we get into your Senate sure. term, Sorry. I, I do, no, you're good. I, I'm glad you said all that. I want that's we're here to inform the people, uh, and I want them to know about uh, the journey and how that process was. You served one um, one year as a House representative. You come, you got appointed January, I think you said seventh. You started the next January fourteenth. Yeah. I was sworn in as a uh, state represent state representative. So you went from being a county commissioner in White County, and and you're on the hill now in Nashville. What was that session like for you, uh, being brand new, not having a lot of time to process it either? Because, you know, people that get elected, they got the election period, they're, they're working their team, they're getting their people in place. Uh, that's a different scenario. You're, you, I mean, you basically you're just thrown into it within a week, and you've got you – did you keep staff? Did you keep Charlie's staff? Did you no, uh, and, and obviously, for various reasons, she took a job with another uh, representative mm -hmm. that – uh, she felt like was going to be stable at the time. She didn't know if I was going to be elected state sure. senator or not. Sure. So uh, she went to work for someone that she uh, knew she would have a future with there. So I basically got a uh, interim um, assistant who they didn't hire full time. However, when I was elected senator, uh, I hired her and uh, she's still with me today okay so she's been with me through six legislative sessions wow. and so uh, she's uh, brandy faust is her name and she's done a, a wonderful job she's actually uh, my research analyst now okay. on um, on the commerce committee but uh, it it's it's when you i did not realize the enormity of whenever i became a state representative of the time commitment that was that it was going to be uh, first and foremost i was running so i had a campaign to to continue as state senator but then i also had uh, the duties of being a state representative that i had just uh, been appointed to so i had all of those legislative duties and then also trying to balance 
running a business. Right. So there were uh, lots of balls in the air uh, during that first several months of trying to, uh, you know, learn uh, learn all the aspects of, of, of being a state representative running for office, as well as trying to make sure that my trucking company continued sure. and uh, we didn't didn't have any, you know, failures there. Because you're the CEO at Charles uh, Bay the Trucking. Well, right? uh, when my wife lets me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, it's, you know, it's good. Uh, thank God for wives. Right. Absolutely. She, I know she was with you the whole time. So when you found out about charlie resigning did you did you go to amy and say hey what do you think about me you know i know you're running for senate right. but what do you think about me being being appointed interim as representative well absolutely and of course she supported me in, in, in that role because she knew that that obviously i wanted to be a state senator so she thought that that would be a a good um way for me to um gain knowledge about being a state legislator so there were lots of phone calls uh with a lot of different people during that time trying to make sure that we were making the right decision i had some say no you don't need to take the appointment you need to just continue to run your senate race i had others saying you need to take the appointment sure. because you'll gain the knowledge and i think those were the ones that were correct right. and 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 i do not regret taking that appointment the big thing, the reason a lot of people didn't want me to run or take the appointment was because I was in a blackout period. I couldn't raise money for the campaign. Oh, I did not know that. That's right. That's why I have you here. You are listening to News Talk 94.1 FM and 1600 AM. When we come back in the next segment, we'll talk about Senator Bailey's experience and start to being a senator in the Tennessee General Assembly. Welcome back. You're listening to Trending on News Talk 94.1 FM and 1600 AM. My guest today is Senator Paul Bailey. We've discussed his uh, journey as a commissioner and, and one term or one year as a member of the House of Representatives. In 2014, Paul, you had already started your campaign to be uh, for state Senate when you were appointed by the county commission in White County to fill out an interim term in the House of Representatives. You'd already started that campaign. You'd been working towards that. You just stated some people had you know encouraged you to go ahead and seek that interim position in the House. Some had said no. And because of the blackout period and, and raising money. And raising money is a big part of any election. It's absolutely huge at the state level. But it didn't hurt you. You obviously got elected in 2014. Uh, and congratulations. And we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're glad to have you. You got reelected um, this last time in 2018. I got to know. I mean, I know you're only there for one year as a member of the House. But what's the difference? There's 99 House members. There's 33. There are 33 Senate members. And and I think currently now the Senate's uh, 28 Republicans, five Democrats. Correct. And the House is 73 Republicans, 26 Democrats. What's the difference in being a member of the House of Representatives and being a state senator? Well, as one of my good friends and colleagues, uh, Senator Frank Nicely from Strawberry Plains, basically does a comparison. And he says the uh, House of Representatives is like a uh, college fraternity and uh, the Senate's like an old folks home. So, <laughs> so and, and, and that's a pretty good analogy. Uh, the, the House, uh, of course, they're about the people's business and uh, they, they sometimes uh, uh, get a little uh, excited and uh, I. I sometimes think they run off the rails and and so ultimately their legislation uh, comes over to the senate and we uh, we get to be the adults in the room and make sure that it's fully vetted and and that it's uh, uh what the people of tennessee need you think 33 is a good number for senators in the state i do i do i do and of course our, by our constitution 
33 senators, 99 House members. That's the way that uh, the framers of the Tennessee Constitution wrote it many years ago. It's uh, stayed that way throughout history. And so, uh, obviously, as our population in Tennessee grows, we just take and divide that number every 10 years into our population to determine the number of people that a state representative or a state senator uh, will represent. But I think that uh, I definitely think it's a good number. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, at the county level, you know, reapportionments uh, as the state every 10 years, every census, and the county's responsible for setting the lines, and they have a reapportionment committee that makes a recommendation to the commission, and the commission approves it. How is that process at the state? You know, you, you take a total number and divide it by 33, but uh, is there a committee that draws the lines? Or are there other people that draw the lines and the Senate approves those lines? How does that work? Yes, so uh, the governor just recently appointed basically a redistricting committee uh, a committee, a commission, if you will. And then, so we'll be drawing House, um, Tennessee House Representative districts, then also Senate districts, as well as the congressional districts. Right. So uh, they basically take the population and then they determine uh, exactly how many people that each each member will represent. So it, it, it'll be very interesting. I think what we'll see is the rural areas will expand as far as uh, I'm expecting. Of course, Cookville has grown. Putnam County's grown quite sure. a bit. So it, it may offset more so than, than I'm thinking. But, uh, uh, you know, I could actually pick up another rural county in, in Middle Tennessee wow. based on the population because what will happen, Nashville will probably gain additional uh, members because of their population growth sure. there, uh, as well as uh, Senate representation. So you'll see those those metro areas gain more representation because of the growth in those areas. And then although the rural areas, especially here in the Upper Cumberland, have, have grown, but we will not have grown as much in population base as far as the metro areas. So uh, we could see our, our, our uh, Senate and, and some of the House districts actually expand in size. And you have six counties now, Cumberland, Jackson, Overton, Bledsoe, Putnam, and White. As a member of the House, you just served three. Is that correct, parts of Putnam? No, no, I, I had all of White County. I had two-thirds of uh, Warren, Warren County, County and Grundy County. Oh, so Putnam had, that had moved. Yes. At one time, Charlie had represented East Putnam. He, he, he represented okay. uh, the Monterey area. Okay, that's what I thought. So uh, two-thirds of Warren County uh, and, and White County. And then so you, you have six counties now. Senator, you couldn't move to seven. We don't know. We, we don't know. for a couple right. of years now because reapportionment, redistricting will start in 2021. Census is in 2020, so next year. And that's that's coming up. I, I got to listen to a gentleman from the Census Bureau and talk about the process last week at the Tennessee County Services meeting, and, and that's always interesting. So you could go to seven counties, but you have six now. So you you try to be in all six counties as much as possible. Right, absolutely. You're 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 CEO of a, of a business. You're a farmer, and and with a Senate work, you have committees. Yes, and you are chair of the Senate Commerce and Labor Committee. And I know because I, I I work when I work with you and work with counties and work some with the state how big of a committee that is and what the Commerce and Labor does. But I want you to inform our listeners exactly what the Commerce and Labor Committee oversee. What What is their oversight duties as a committee? Well, we have uh, the Commerce and Labor Committee, Senate Committee, is has oversight of six different um, departments of state government. Uh, we are uh, oversight for um, basically economic community development. We're oversight for uh, labor and workforce development, uh, commerce and insurance, 
uh, utilities uh, commission, uh, so uh, financial institutions. So we have a, a very um, diverse committee. There's lots and lots of legislation that moves through the Commerce Committee, uh, dealing with all aspects of of um, uh, you know life in Tennessee, if you will. We we may have one bill come in dealing with a uh, banking issue, and the next uh, piece of legislation that comes into the committee may deal with hair braiding. And so it, it wow. we go from one one aspect to uh, to the next, and but it's um, it, it it requires a lot of time. Sure. I find myself in Nashville on a weekly basis now because uh, you know obviously working with the various departments of of state, and um, and and Ben, I, I'm sure you know this, but I don't know if your uh, listeners understand this, but. Uh, the chairman is appointed by uh, the Speaker of the Senate, sure. or who is also the Lieutenant Governor. Right. So, uh, I've been very fortunate in a short period of time to actually serve as chairman of the Transportation and Safety Committee, and now serve as chairman of the Commerce and Labor Committee. There are other members that have more seniority than I, but they have never chaired a committee. So, wow. uh, did not know that. Yes. So, so we. Uh, I uh, feel very fortunate and feel very blessed that we've been able to um, uh, chair two significant committees in the state Senate. So, and, and legislation, and for those that may not know how a, a bill becomes a law or how something's enacted, uh, a member of the Senate or the House will file a bill and usually get co-sponsors. So they'll sponsor a bill. Once they do that, what's the process? So, so you have so a piece of legislation. Uh, let's just say, Ben, you have an idea that would be great for Tennessee, and so you ask uh, your House member, uh, which is Ryan Williams, mm-hmm. and uh, you ask your senator, which is Paul Bailey. Hey, I've got this idea. I think it would be great for Tennessee. So we have legal services to draw up the legislation. He introduces the bill in the House. I introduce the bill in the Senate. And from there, it starts a committee process. And then if obviously, if the committees believe that it's good for Tennessee, they pass it and it ultimately moves to the floor of, of both chambers. And then if it passes both chambers, the House and the Senate, then ultimately it moves on to the governor for final signature. So anything affecting those six state departments in the Labor and, and, and uh, Commerce Committee has to come through your committee. That's a lot of legislation. Lots of legislation. We have. Uh, we probably have um, the most amount of legislation moving through the uh, Senate, uh, our, our committee does. That's a big task, and I hope you consider it an honor to be the chair of that. I think that's a big deal. That's huge that the lieutenant governor appointed you there, and, and he trusts you, obviously, to – to, to chair that committee and take care of that legislation. And so if a piece of legislation doesn't get out of committee, it doesn't go to the floor. It doesn't go to the floor. It, it you know, legislation can live or die in, in committee. And, you know, I, I tell folks that many times legislation is filed and it's not a good bill, but there's an amendment that ultimately is, is filed on that bill that makes it good. So, and then there's time that there's good legislation that that uh, someone files an amendment to that makes it bad, and so we um, we definitely take that into consideration. Uh, I know that not everyone has time to look up legislation as it's moving uh, through the legislative process, but many times if you just pull up a specific bill number, you just see the original bill. Right. But there may be amendments added to that sure. that's made that bill good. Right. And so sometimes 
um, constituents get focused on the original language of the bill and they don't always look into the amendment process. Yeah, amendment can change a, a bill drastically, really. Absolutely. And it's always, if, if it has a fiscal impact, it goes through a fiscal review process as well. Absolutely. To figure out how much uh, financially is going to impact the state or county or city or however. Uh, every every piece of legislation, no matter what the uh, the bill or legislation says, goes through a fiscal uh, review process to basically determine whether it is positive or negative for the state in regards to a fiscal impact. It's good information. So glad you're here. We got one more segment with you, and I got a lot more to ask you, and we'll get to it. You're listening to News Talk 94.1 FM, 1600 AM. This is Trending. I'm your host, Ben Rogers, and today my guest has been, so far, Senator Paul Bailey. We'll be back. Welcome back to Trending on News Talk 94.1 FM and 1600 AM. This has been Rogers, your host. My guest has been Senator Paul Bailey. We've been talking about the journey from county commissioner to now state senator. And we end this last segment. We want to talk about some what's going on in the next session of the General Assembly and, and hit on some of the committees Senator Bailey serves on. We've talked about the big one in labor labor and commerce. You are, you are a member of Transportation and Safety, the Senate Transportation and Safety Committee. But you have been chair, as you said. And you were chaired in a very um, monumental time for the state of Tennessee, I think, during the Improve Act. Correct. What did the Improve Act do for the state of Tennessee? Well, I think the Improve Act helped Tennessee move forward in our infrastructure needs. As everyone knows, Tennessee is a pay-as-you-go state. We do not borrow money to build roads and bridges. And so because of our population growth and because of the infrastructure needs that we had in the state of Tennessee – And with inflation growth, we were not able to keep up with all the needs uh, for Tennessee in our infrastructure, again, our roads and our bridges. And so the IMPROVE Act basically allowed us to uh, bring in more revenue to help with those needs that we have in all of the communities across the state of Tennessee. So added more money, we can improve our roads, not only state interstate, interstates and state highways, but trickle down to the county. Absolutely. And the county roads are better. And I've said it before, I think, on this show, and I'll say it again. Yeah, our school buses and our ambulances and our sheriff deputies can't get to their destination without good county roads. Absolutely. And if, if they don't have good county roads and they're beat up, there's more maintenance costs for the for the county or the city or for the state. So it's just good. And, and people coming through the state, they want to see – good roads they want to enjoy driving on our roads and i'll go to states where it's just not so much fun right like, can't they fix these roads well we've got a plan and, and you were part of that so thank you for that uh, another committee you serve on joint fiscal review absolutely and, and that entails well basically uh, joint fiscal review it, we review all department contracts and approve those contracts uh, when they're spending money. Sure. So uh, give you an example. If a Department of Education is renewing a contract or they have a proposal for a contract and it's, you know, um, you, you see these contracts for 10, 15, 20 million dollars, we scrutinize that. We want to make sure that the process was followed, that they uh, sought out as many vendors as possible to 
get a, a bid from, sure. and then they basically uh, present those to the fiscal review committee, and then we uh, we approve those from okay. there. So and it's another legislative pro. It's another legislative step to make sure that our departments are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sure, sure. And joint pensions and insurance committee is another committee you serve on. Does this committee work with the Senate Commercial Labor Committee? It it does, but it's also separate uh, from the uh, Commerce and Insurance Committee. It's it's a joint. Uh, committee, the treasurer of the state of Tennessee, Mr. Lillard, actually is on that uh, committee as well. And so we look at anything dealing with um, exactly what it says, pensions, and that's mostly with uh, state employee pensions, whether it be a college pension or whether it be a TDOT worker. Uh, we're looking at how any kind of legislation can affect that, as well as insurance. And so we have a lot of legislation filed every year for um, uh, on on insurance regarding ten care, also regarding uh, our state health plan for state employees, but it can also affect on the local level, uh, okay. even affect the uh, insurance plans at our local level. So we really scrutinize that. Uh, we say that that's the committee of no. Right. And so a lot of times, a lot of times we're saying no more than we right. are saying yes. Right. And so I bring all those committees up. And you mentioned earlier, being a senator or a legislator is more than just meeting from January to May or June. It's a it's a yearly it's a weekly thing. I mean, if you're on these committees, you're meeting throughout the year. It just doesn't stop in May or whenever the General Assembly adjourns. You're working a lot. Absolutely. Just for example, uh, tomorrow I've got meetings uh, starting at 1 o'clock, so I'll come into the trucking office uh, till around 1130, and then I'll leave for Nashville. And then I've got meetings all the way up to like 530, 6 o'clock, and then I'll come home tomorrow night, and then I'm back down for Labor and Workforce Development meeting on Friday. Wow. And then I've got to try to be back uh, to uh, Baxter, uh, to uh, Upperman, high school for an event sure sure so you're you're staying busy but things are progressing since you've been in then this is your uh starting your sixth year as a senator i guess and your seventh legislative session correct because you had one as a member of the house the 111th 111th general assembly will begin um or the legislative session will begin in the 111th General Assembly on January and January on the second Tuesday, which is the 11th. So this next year, so we're a couple months out. You got we a couple are. months of breaks, kinda, before you start. Uh, are, do you know any of the topics right now? Some of the legislation uh, that could come up that might be affecting Tennessee next year. Is that something you you're getting through committees or something you can discuss? Uh, any updates or anything, any current legislation that may be revisited that you know of? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the topics that we'll be really discussing this year is telemedicine. There's um, uh, various aspects of telemedicine that uh, uh, we get caught between the insurance companies, which they call the payers, and the doctors, which is the provider. The patient ends up being in the middle. So uh, there will be legislation brought to, to basically try to help and assist both be fair to the to the payer, the insurance companies, as well as, as to the provider being the doctor. So we'll see some legislation in regards to, uh, to, to telemedicine, and uh, that'll, that'll probably be a good, um, uh, a good battle throughout uh, session it usually always is it's amazing the insurance companies and the doctors are always sure. uh, basically at odds a lot of times sure. on, on what uh, on how they should be reimbursed and and 
I've got to ask you this question I get as a CTAS consultant, but it's not for me. How how many times, it's kind of funny, how many times do you get asked every year by a constituent, when are they going to bring back the election of the director of schools? Uh, all the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> all, all, all the time. All the time. I, I, I get that asked myself, and that's something that changed years ago, and um, you know, in my opinion, there's good and bad. You know, it can go and, either way. It's, and, and I agree with that. And and I usually give the analogy that I've got uh, in, in the six counties that I represent. You know, we've we've had some directors that have served for a period of time uh, and are doing a great job. And then you know, there's been uh, uh, one county that's uh, kind of had some issues that that. Uh, uh, with directors, and they've gone through several directors over a few years. I think that's kind of leveled out uh, recently. But, you know, there's always legislation brought in regards to school superintendents. Uh, one piece of legislation that I felt was very reasonable, it allowed the county commission to uh, vote to decide whether or not that county actually wanted to allow for the election of their school director, school sure. superintendent. So I supported that legislation. Sure. Unfortunately, it didn't move forward. But see, there again, we're giving the locals the opportunity to choose whether or not they want to have that process. And I think that's a good thing. Um, so speaking locally again, you know, you served as a county commissioner. You've been at the local level uh, it's a, it's a, it's positive for you because you can communicate with those city and county officials you deal with. Uh, what is your what are your relationships like with those city and county officials? I think I have a great relationship with with all of my city and um, county officials. I'm you know we many of them we talk on a weekly basis. Uh, some I don't hear from unless they have a need. Sure. A lot of times, uh, especially if if let's say that there's a. Um, uh, convention in Nashville or a conference, I should say, in Nashville where you have your local elected officials at. I try to go down and and host a dinner sure. uh, to allow me to get everyone in the room and then be able to say, okay, let me hear your concerns. What can we do to help? And uh, that way, uh, collectively, I can hear from them uh, all at one time. It's a good idea. And it usually day on the hill may be a good time for that, or county government day with Tennessee County Services in March is a good time for that to happen as well. Uh, so Tennessee County Services had their meeting last week, and I had the opportunity to listen to Dr. Bill Fox from University of Tennessee, and he's a well-known economist, one of the best in the country. He says that our economy is looking good maybe for another year. It's the longest period in the state's history of economic prosperity. It's it's been since 2000, really um, – it took five years, I think, from 2008 to 2013 to get back up to the state's revenues. But this has been the longest period of prosperity. But we know it can't last forever. Right, right. The state has a good rainy day fund. We do. How many? Do you know how much we have? In we the have rainy? about $1.2 billion in our wow, rainy day is fund. Is that the most ever, probably? That's the most ever that our rainy day fund has been. So, and we don't want to speak doom and gloom on the show, but we got to be thinking about, and I know legislators are thinking about, that time when the economy starts going down. Yeah, I think that uh, once the Lee administration, um, took office in January. That was one of the things that they started basically prepping their new commissioners for is at some point in time during his administration, there's going to be a downturn in their economy. So they've already started you know, preparing just in case we have it. Nobody wants it, but they want to be prepared. And so I think they're already running scenarios as to how we how we would um, be able to meet the needs of Tennesseans even in a in a down economy. But I'll say this: Tennessee is in an excellent. 
position right now. We've got lots of new jobs being announced on a uh, a daily and weekly basis. So, you know, Tennessee, I think, is still going to be strong even in a uh, downturn national economy. i got to ask before we close out, when you're chairing uh, the Labor and Commerce Committee, do you ever think about this? Maybe a simpler time when you were chairing the county commission of White County. Do you ever reflect back to that time? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I I think the best state legislators are those that have served as county commissioners and on the city council, just simply because they understand what um, the needs are of the local people, and you keep that in mind always. Sure. Well, I want to thank you first for being here. Well, thank uh, you because you've taken your time out of a busy schedule this week and and visit with me and with and visit with our listeners. I want to thank you for your service to our 15th district, our Senate district. You've done, you've represented us very well. Um, you've done a lot for me and you've done a lot for this area. And if without leaders like you, we can't, we can't have the the quality of life we have. So thank you. Uh, I hope you continue to serve in some capacity for us. And if you have anything, let me know. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. If you, you've been listening to trending on news talk, 94.1 FM at 1600 AM. This has been Rogers. Join us next week for another episode.